I wasn't terribly surprised. I thought it made sense dramaturgically. Hello and welcome into another episode of Dramaturgically. I'm Stephen. And I'm Mia. And today we're going to be talking about the 2001 film directed by Jean-Pierre Jeunet, Amelie. <laughs> So, the movie Amelie is uh, following the character of a young, painfully shy 23-year-old named Amelie Poulain as she discovers that she has a gift and a passion for helping others. Um, the only thing is, is that she can't really seem to help herself, especially when it comes to um, the matter of a person that she meets along the way who is just as strange as her, who she feels a constant affinity to. Um, and the movie is all about her finding herself and deciding uh, what she wants to do with her life and how she's going to go about it. Beautiful. Absolutely. Yeah, I think the what I would say about this film straight off the bat is it's an absolute visual feast. Like, um, that, that's sort of the only thing I knew about it going in, um, is, is that it had this sort of very clear, uh, visual dynamic and style that, mm. uh, it was synonymous for. And, um, obviously it has a pretty iconic score as well, which I was familiar with. Um, but yeah, I guess, um, going into this, having not seen it for the first time, maybe, you, maybe you want to tell me a little bit more about this film here, given <laughs> the fact that it's one of your favorite films. <laughs> in your top four in Letterboxd? Oh, well, yeah. Well, first of all, yes, you are right. It is absolutely visually iconic, especially for that creepy-ass photo of her face. Yeah, honestly, like, the, the, <laughs> that, like that one everywhere. shot of her face, it's like it's like the female version of how there's only one shot of from the from the whale. The whale. <laughs> it's like, that's like, that's my Oppenheimer and Barbie, like, Exactly, <laughs> no, but this one is like, this one, this one shot, I think everyone who knows anything about Emily knows this one shot and it's colorized to like high hell and it's so weird and creepy and it completely misrepresents the film whatsoever. It's a complete misrepresentation. You're she not, doesn't even look like that. She doesn't look like that. <laughs> I'm looking at the photo right now, yeah. that is not what Emily looks like in the film. It's super strange, but don't let that weird ass photo of, uh, Oji Tato effect yeah. <laughs> um, your decision to watch this because yes you are right Stephen it is a visual feast and on top of that it's an absolute narrative feast mm -hmm. and it is the ultimate feel good movie for me um, sure bad things happen in this movie like all bad things but it is such a joy to watch I think that it is literally impossible to sit through this film and not feel at least a little bit happy once it's over Definitely, like I, I like at watching this film. Like I had pretty much a constant smile on my face. Like it's a fun film. It's um, it's relatively short. Well, it's only yeah, it's in the, in it's that sort of in the two hour two mark. Hours, yeah. So it definitely doesn't outstay its welcome. Um, and you really enjoy being in and amongst this world. And and it's it is it's quite fast paced and it moves. And um, I think the film makes a really smart decision by opening um us into this world with a sort of a montage of Amelie's life up until the point where yeah. we as the Orients meet her. Mm -hmm. And that that's a, that's a really great introduction to the world because we become accustomed to a lot of strange things happening, like what happens to her mother, obviously yeah. dying in such a crazy incident. Mm. And um sort of the I guess some of the more OCD tendencies that this world sort of tends to have of it's, like it's, yeah. things being orchestrated and sort of um 
very much like aesthetically matching or like mm. having having sort of a synchronicity to, to everything that's going on. Yeah, yeah, that's actually a great segue into what this film is about, actually, that opening montage, mm-hmm. which is, first of all, like, extremely long. Yeah. It's something like 30 minutes, if I'm not wrong. It's yeah. 30 minutes of opening montage, and it's one of the most immersive opening sequences, I think, that... Um, I've ever seen. It's so much fun. It's bouncing with energy. Um, the narration, the the over what what do you call that? Like the um, when someone's narrating over everything that's going on in the screen. Yeah, What's yeah, it called? yeah. It's it's called the the narration. The narration. Yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> that's the right word. That's the correct word. Can you tell I haven't studied film? <laughs> um, no, like the narration is so. It just I think the narration in this entire film absolutely like pulls it together. It gives it a tone that is so unique and so fresh and so exciting, and it really pushes the film along. Um, and so, yeah, like in that opening, in those th- opening 30 minutes, um, you understand Emily's world and you learn all about her and her family, what she likes, mm-hmm. the people around her, where she, like her life, her life from being born to 23 and living in Paris in a small cafe. Um, and it is extremely immersive. And... Yeah, you definitely get immersed in this like really quirky hmm. state of mind that she seems to occupy where everything sort of works perfectly. Yeah. Um it doesn't make sense, but it does in her mind. You know, it 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 the the logic follows if that makes sense. This sort of childlike imagination where everything kind of works out um and everything mm-hmm. is happy and everything is like I don't know, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's two yeah. there's two things that you said that really interested me there, Mia, which is like, um, for one, yeah, this film is a real sort of showpiece in um, in sequence filmmaking because a lot a lot of this film I noticed as we were watching is sequence after sequence after sequence, um, rather than like scenes. I found that the film was sort of cut into like two to three minute sequences where there were lots of different cuts mm. and variations and you were spending time in locations that in other films you would probably call scenes. But in this film, I would call them sequences because mm. they they almost seem to be um, really driven by music rather than dialogue and were sort of surrounded by actions and looks and camera editing. And um, yeah, it just, it just mm. felt like a really well put together film, which, which is the hallmark of, of great direction usually when you can pull off something like these insane sequences that this film pulls off time after time. And the second thing I wanted to mention was what you said again about like, yeah, the sort of, I guess the quirky nature of Amelie. And I think, I think I'm not the first person here to, to say that I think there's a reading of this film that, that is depicting neurodivergency. Um, and I think a lot of people, um, in that community do find affinity, um, in, in the character of Amelie as well. Um, I, I know for, I know for a fact that I've spoken to about three different people, that um, do see this film as like a uh, neurodivergent, uh, essentially, um, representation. Um, so that, that's definitely something that's really interesting and, and can be read into quite a lot and definitely picked up a few things in that area. So mm, Yeah, yeah. I definitely agree with you about the sequence filmmaking. That's a fantastic way to put it because I would say that this film and what makes it so endearing to me is the fact that it's a conglomerate of multiple little storylines mm-hmm. because i mean the whole the whole the whole shtick about amelie is that she loves to help other people mm-hmm. she loves to put herself in other people's lives and sort of make them better through her elaborate crazy like extremely extra 
<laughs> schemes. Yeah. Um, and she does obviously have an impact. And you kind of follow through throughout the movie the multiple people who she decides to impact and the multiple people that she decides to... Um, whose lives she decides to change for the better. And I think it's also an incredibly tight film in that fact where every single sequence, and I can I reckon there are probably like four to five separate little stories mm-hmm. going on um, within this two-hour film, which is actually pretty incredible mm-hmm. now that I think about it. And by the end of those two hours, every single storyline that yeah. you were inju- introduced to from the front, from the beginning to the end, big or small, is not forgotten. And it's wrapped up perfectly and you feel a sense of very strong closure with the film. And I just think all in all that because of that, because of that, the way that these sequences are opened and closed, watching this is an incredibly satisfying experience. You know, you start off, you are introduced to this incredible, beautiful, imaginative, fantastical, super fun, quirky world. um, And you're thrown into it and you're thrown into these questions and these plot lines and by the end you just feel happy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you just feel so Definitely. happy and satisfied and think, wow, that was a great experience. I have no negative feelings whatsoever with <laughs> regards to this film. Yeah, definitely. Which I think I love. Yeah, no, that, that's 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 a great point. It is a super satisfying film and like you know, a lot of films especially like these sorts of films that, that do juggle multiple different storylines, sometimes mm. find it difficult to to stick the landing. Um, I can think of numerous ones where, especially like, this isn't an anthology because all the stories are connected. Yes, yeah. But, but it's maybe something like The French Dispatch, which I know a lot of people loved. Um, personally, mm. um, I found it to be one of those anthologies where certain storylines I was engaged with, others I weren't. I'm going to agree with that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so, so, so that, that type, of, type of storytelling can tend to... Um, Fall short. To, to, to fall short sometimes, yeah. but I found this to be incredibly satisfying on all fronts, which was really good. Um, another thing I just wanted to quickly say is um, I, I love that that the world itself has a justification. So, like, sometimes when you're thrown into these, like, it's not a fictional world because they are just set. It is just is Paris. It's just Paris, um, And if you've yeah. been to Paris, you know that Paris is kind of quirky and weird like this. But mm. it's not this quirky and weird. Um, <laughs> it's but, definitely not as yellow and green and yeah, it's, red. Yeah, it's definitely. The film says it is. Yeah, when I went to Paris, I definitely didn't see a, a, a green um, color grade or over everything, <laughs> um, contrary to belief. But <laughs> but what I did like about this was the justification for the world being so unique and so weird was that we were sort of seeing it through the lens of Amelie as a character, and I love these kind of films that you mm. are you are a conduit to their world through their eye. Um, Mm. It really endears you to the character um, on a personal level because you can empathize with their experience more because you're actually seeing what they're seeing. You're thinking what they're thinking because the director is able to visually communicate, hey, Emily is thinking um, about um, what's going on with Nino right now across the city and bang, it'll visually show us her imagination of what's happening over there. Mm. Or like it'll show you, um, how she feels when she's riding the motorbike with him, you know, everything's zooming past really fast and everything's narrowed in on their experience. Mm. Like the film does a great job of, of, of portraying those little experiences of Emily herself, which really makes her such a likable character. Mm. Um, so I really enjoyed that aspect, but I guess we should probably really quickly talk about, um, I guess the, the, the plot of, of, of what actually happens, um, to, to make Emily sort of become this, um, this force for good in in her community. Yeah, yeah, that's actually kind of a tough ask. 
Yeah. I feel like it's difficult to summarize exactly what happens in this film because so much of it lies in like the feeling that it gives you when you watch it. Sure. Yeah. You know, but we can try. Yeah. No, definitely. That, that's a good point. <laughs> I think that's why we needed to talk about yeah. about that sort of um, the style and the feeling and everything first, right off the bat, because mm. that is the endearing sort of spirit of this film. Mm, mm. Um, but yeah, just, just I think I think just to so we can go into some of those storylines because I really do want to unpack um, mm. the meaning of some of them. Um, yeah. Emily uh, discovers a, an old, an old, I guess, like toy tin or like a, a, yes, a yeah. an, old, an old rusty tin, essentially that that holds the belongings of a of a young boy's old uh, race cars and toys and yeah, stuff from yeah. about forty years ago. She from says when she went from when this little when he was a little boy when he was a little boy, yeah. and she sort of gives herself this mission to sort of track this boy down, and we spend sort of twenty minutes sort of going through sort of a few classic sort of false leads and things mm. aren't working out. And then eventually um, she makes a connection, which which then leads her to the young boy. And she is able to um, mysteriously um, give him back his, his toy box. Um, Cause obviously she's shy and she doesn't want to <laughs> kind of get the credit for doing it all, but she still wants to see the, the happiness on his face. And mm. when she does see this sort of like uh, positive impact that she's had on this person mm. um, and you know he is overjoyed and it sort of like looks to sort of give him a second lease of life I think mm. she realizes that her place in the world is almost like giving people joy and, yeah. and finding a way to bring joy to people yeah um, and that's sort of what sets her on her path to I guess yeah all these different storylines she sort of identifies the people whether it's her dad who has never traveled um, mm, and he, kind of lives like in grief of his wife's death. Yeah, exactly. Years ago. Yeah. Yeah. And she sort of mm. finds a way to, to give him fulfillment and joy in his life and excitement and mm. her neighbor and um, the young boy that works at the, 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 fruit, the fruit store stall, yeah. and her coworkers. Like yeah. she, she notices all these people in her life that sort of could do with, with a bit of joy and a bit of excitement and, yeah. and something new and um, she sort of realizes that the power that, that you have in that. And I find mm. that really interesting as a concept that like we can essentially look at the people around us in our life and think, what impact can I have on them? Like actually like because we all have a role to play in, yes, in our community. Yeah. Yeah, and not necessarily like also towards people that we know. One of my favorite sequences in the entire film um, <laughs> uh, is when Emily decides to go and lead the local blind man uh, down the street. And she basically grabs him by the arm as he's trying to cross the road, leads him across the road, and then whisks him past this bustling street in Paris and describes to him um, in beautiful, evocative, fun detail everything that's going on. How much is the pork today? How much is the beef spare ribs? What's happening on the street? Um, who's talking? Who's laughing? What, a, what, what do people look like? And she's basically opening up this entire world to a complete stranger. And it ends quite funnily where this guy basically like almost ascends to another plane. Yeah. Quite funnily, like visually, visually represented. He begins glowing. And <laughs> this is one of the more goofy aspects that you have to kind of be aware of when you watch Emily. It is a little bit goofy. Yeah. Um, and you got to just take it as it is. Just got to roll with the punches. Um, you just got to roll with this multiple ascensions that happen yeah. in this film. <laughs> there are numerous. There yeah, are yeah. numerous ascensions where people just become so happy and so joyful. Um, but even that, in that sense, is also really beautiful because now that I think about it, every single ascension yeah. um, was a result of something was which was extremely simple. Yeah. Acts of kindness. Acts of it? kindness, yeah. Yeah, and that's what this film is ultimately about. It's about mm. how how one person finds power in, in being kind to others. And I think that's just such a beautiful message and it really matches like this 
kind of quirky, um, <laughs> cute, quirky film. Um, <laughs> and and I, I think that there's also there's also a great little message in there about about how kindness goes a long way to helping others with kindness. You know, like mm. through the people that she helps, they often then repay that kindness. You know, we yeah. see we see that with with the elderly neighbor. Um, um, being kind um, to to the young fruit boy, store boy, yeah, and then um, that kindness returning to her at the end as well. Mm. Um, Emily herself in her own love story. Um, so so I, I just absolutely love that. Um, it is really beautiful, and I think there is also another thing which I started to appreciate when I watched uh, Emily a couple more times, especially when I was older, was also its portrayal of Emily herself. Like she is not. Um, an infinite fountain of kindness. There is a scene in the movie which happens quite early on where she basically starts imagining herself dying young from helping people too much and she starts to feel really sorry for herself and there's a certain understanding that even though, you know, she's helping others and other people are finding their own happiness through her intervention, she still has a lot of things that she needs and wants in her life. She still has a lot of regrets that she wants to fix. She has a lot of things like, for example, at this point in in the film, her dad is still quite stuck in his grief and stuck at home and refusing to go out and travel. So, you know, she still has a lot of things on her mind and there are certain itches that she can't quite scratch um, because she has to attend to her own needs and her own dreams. And I think that's also like a really nuanced way at looking at um, this sort of um, what's the word like? Do good, good, good. Do gooding. Do good character. Do yeah. Do gooding. Like, yeah. And where does it come from? And where like, does it come from? What does it stem from? And what kinds of people are these people in our community? Mm. Like um, Audrey Tato um, does an absolutely fantastic job as Emily throughout absolutely the film. Absolutely iconic. Yeah. Um, yeah, a very iconic performance. I mm. mean, just ne- never, never once did I did I question like what she was thinking like I, I could generally like r- read her like a book at a lot of the times and mm. um because she is such a non-verbal character all of her communication is done through done through uh visual performance um yeah. which i just found to be extremely extremely captivating mm. um and, and like you were saying like um it's something that really works narratively well with this film as well is that she has to build up to the courage to to find this kindness because even as a child we see that something as simple as her taking photos um, is then twisted back onto her and told that if she takes photos of people, it causes um, accidents. accidents in the world. Yeah. So from a young age, she is, she's told that, you know, her participating in the world is inherently a negative thing. Yeah. Um, so to, oh, that's a great pickup, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So to come mm. out of that realization as an adult and realize that actually, no, um, I can have a positive impact on the world mm. um, is, a, is a great little um, plan and payoff and little arc for her. Oh, that's gorgeous. Yeah. No, that's awesome. And to add on to that, there's also this sort of... Because I think we've already established that she is a good person. She is a very sweet-natured mm. character who wants to help others. But she has this fundamental weakness, which is that she's also extremely shy. Mm. And it's so... It's, it's almost like you, you really root for her yeah. throughout the film because, you know, you become so endeared to her as a character. The whole film is Emily. Like, you see things through her eyes and you start to fall in love with Paris as she sees it and the world as she, she, she sees it. And you start to really, you know, appreciate her and love her and root for her and hope for the best. And you just watch her sort of falter and sort of dissolve 
um, because she's just so shy and she doesn't have the confidence to get out there and yeah ask out the guy that she really likes or talk to him or actually like be able to break through all the schemes and the costumes that she wears in order to sort of lure him in and actually just be herself and let him see her um so i thought that was also a really cute sort of coming of age element to this film yeah absolutely Mm. and like it it goes hand in hand like with what you're saying with the romance as well like you know like the central romance Mm. of this film being two characters that are essentially um really shy awkward people Mm. that sort of grew up sort of with a sense of loneliness and a sense of difference difference and and yeah which makes them stand out and that that idea of two people like that finding themselves in such an interesting, unique, awkward sort of scenario yeah. that, that leads to their eventual <laughs> meeting yeah. um, is so fitting and it's so perfect. And it's just like, it's, it's a, it's a romance story wrapped up um, perfectly for the character of Emily. And I just think this film is just, if I could say one thing about this film, I'd just say it's perfectly constructed and thought out um, and, and executed really that that's, that's what this film is. It, it's, it's a, it's a really strong vision um, just completely, perfectly executed. Yeah. I think it's it's difficult to find fault in it. It's difficult to hate on it. Um, it's definitely not, like, the greatest film ever. I think sure. it I think it kind of hits the satisfying spot. The satisfaction, like, the saddest, like, the romance, the, it scratches the romance, like, romantic um, imagination of the world itch in the same way as, I don't know, like... Pride and Prejudice 2004 to me. <laughs> sure. Like, it's not It's not ever... It's. I don't know how to explain it. Like, maybe I'm insecure about the fact that Emily's, like, my third favorite movie ever. Um, but... No, I... I, I don't I, know. Like, I'm, I'm kind of confused about where it stands in terms of, like, great film or, or you know, objectively good film. And that's why I was, I was really interested to see your perspective, Stephen, because I've watched this movie so many times... That I don't even know like whether what I think is objective anymore. I just love this movie, and so it, I was really excited to hear what you'd have to say because I felt like you would have a more balanced opinion. <laughs> no, well, I listen. I, I I'm I'm a very big believer, and you know this personally. That mm. like I, I I really don't think that there is much uh, objectivity in film because mm. I think it, it is it, you know ultimately art is completely subjective. So. Um, I think that you should be proud of the fact that this is, you know, your third favorite film or sits in, in, in a list of your favorite films. You know what I mean? Mm, because okay. um, it, it's, it speaks to your sensibility. It speaks to how you see the world. Um, it speaks to certain elements that, that you want to see in a story. Um, and that's the same way I feel about the films that I love as well. So really, I, I, feel, I feel like um, sometimes the arbitrary sort of nature that we have to, to rank and categorize and, and rate films on sort of standardized systems just um doesn't sit too well in my brain and that's just how i think about it um Mm. but i think that um everyone should be proud of the films that they love um and absolutely this is a this is an absolute classic of its era and um and definitely something that i really enjoyed uh watching so thank you so much for introducing it to me Uh, (laughs) without your introduction to this film i never would have got to see the gnome that went on world tour So uh, that was... The gnome will be remembered forever. Absolutely. Iconic gnome. One of the film's number one most iconic gnomes. I'm going to have to start a list of of, of favorite (laughs) gnomes in films. Best gnomes (laughs) ever captured on film. Uh, No, but that is actually one of the best sequences of um, the film. uh, The gnome plot twist. Um, Yeah. 
I remember I, it had you on your like wits end. You couldn't figure it out. I couldn't figure you out couldn't why. Figure out gnome. why the gnome was in Moscow and <laughs> I call what and all of that. What was happening? It was so funny. No, but it was also. But but then, but then again, this is like, I think this is the magic of the film that Amelie as a character, and this is what endears me and lots of other people to us so much is the fact that her mind works this way. Mm-hmm. You know that her mind works in a way that, in order to send her, inspire her dad to go traveling, she sends her dad's precious gnome, garden gnome, um, off with a travel um, a flight attendant, and gets <laughs> the flight attendant to take photos of the gnome in like all sorts of different countries and send it to her dad, and like the kicker is that it pays off. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's just ridiculous. Like it's just so it's so sweet it's yeah it's so sweet it's so sweet and you know you know one one extra storyline that we should talk about before we wrap this up is Mm. uh, the the storyline of her co-worker romance that she sets up oh yeah because i think it's interesting because it's probably the only storyline that she sets up that isn't inherently something that ends up for good no no i think she does it with good intentions um she wants so the people that she sets up are um, her hypodesiac, afro, no, not aphrodisiac, hypochondriac. Yeah. Her hypochondriac um, co-worker, Georgette, and this stalker um, named, oh, I forgot his name. What's his name, actually? Lucien? Uh, Joseph. 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 And she basically sets these two up, and she thinks, oh, this is perfect. They're going to find love with one another. Um, but then all goes wrong when... Um, sort of the passion fades and Joseph reveal is revealed to be just as jealous and possessive and creepy and weird as he always is. Mm. Um, and Georgette kind of is at her wit's end with him. Um, but yeah, so what did you think about that, Stephen? What, what did you think about the inclusion of that scene well, in I, the movie? Yeah, well, I, I thought the importance of it, um, looking objectively at the film, is because because... Because all of the storylines that, that Amelie sets in, into motion, right, sort of end up in, in sort of successes and essentially, like, net positive for the world, mm. um, to, ha- to have a storyline that, that essentially leads to something that sort of collapses and doesn't work sort of goes to show that kind intentions in the world um, aren't enough to make good things happen solely just for the fact that they were kind intentions. Yeah. And I really like that because... Because I guess this film could be portrayed to, to be seen as, like, overly optimistic or, mm. like, oh, everything she touches turns to gold, for yeah. example. Yeah. And I like that they just had one little thread in there that said, well, you know, yeah, it, it was it was a pure intention. You know, she thought she was um, – our interactions with the world, even, even if we do something and we set out to achieve something in the world with – with um, good morality in mind and kind objectives, mm. it's not necessarily going to work out that way. Yeah. And I, I think that's just a nice little subtle message. I, I'm assuming that that's what the message of that of that storyline was. So. No, I agree. Like, I mean, it would be a bit silly and it would definitely um, damage Emily's character for me if everything, like you said, she touched turned to gold. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, she is limited. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very clear in the film that she lets herself down several times and is sort of pushed along and encouraged by other people, the mm-hmm. kindness of other people. But yeah, in this part, so she's by no means perfect and she by no means like can fix everything. Um, she needs others as much as others need her. Um, but yeah, this inclusion of this Georgette Joseph failed romance storyline definitely points at the fact that, yeah, you can help other people, but 
other people also let you down. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes it just doesn't work out because of other people's limitations. And in this case, it was Joseph's stalkery, weird, possessive, male, chauvinistic, I don't know, yeah. limitations that ruined what originally was a sweet romantic plan by Emily. And that's just how life is sometimes. Like people will sometimes um, take what you give them and sometimes they won't. Yeah. Um, and it definitely uh, gives the film a stronger sense of reality and groundedness um, that these things don't always work out and good intentions sometimes falls, you know, fall short. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that's actually a really great pickup because I didn't think about that before. Mm. Um, so that's another great thing about this film. I genuinely think that every single time you rewatch it, you pick up something really cool um, and really interesting that you didn't see before. Yeah, for sure. And like, uh, even, even to, to flip, to flip that, that, um, that idea on its head again as well, right? You know, we, we meet the, the character of, I forget her name, but, but the widower. The oh widow. yeah. Her name is, um, let's see. Suzanne. Suzanne. Yeah. We meet the character of Suzanne who is sort of this sweet natured person, but sort of has a bit of, uh, unresolved, um, trauma attached to the, the, the mm. death of her husband who essentially left her and, and ran away with another woman mm. um, who he died um, long ago and Emily essentially intervenes in this woman's life by writing her a fake letter or not writing her a fake letter but piecing together, piecing together pieces yeah. of letters that he wrote to her um, and constructing a false narrative um, essentially where the husband was returning to, to to his wife mm. and, and died on the way. Yeah. Which yeah. gives her some some sense of peace and es essentially like um, gives her stability and her own mindset where now this is the exact opposite of the previous storyline we were talking about mm. where instead of going with um, instead of doing something objectively good, like, you know, trying to inspire romance, she's trying to deceive someone, but mm. it still has a net positive impact because yeah. it's done through kindness. Yeah. And I just love that all these stories have those little nuances of like uh, morality and, and, mm. and um, yeah, it just, you can view them through a lot of different lenses. So. They do. That's actually one of, I think that's a really sweet storyline actually, that sort of side plot, um, because that's another one that you don't really see coming until towards the very end of the mm -hmm. film. And um, I did point this out to Stephen, but there is, if you watch this film and you actually watch the scene where Suzanne reads the letter, um, that her supposed husband had sent her. Um, if you listen really, really closely, and this is why this is why I love this film so much, the pure attention to detail um, by uh, Jeanette. Um, but every single line um, is accompanied by different background noises, which change um, as the letter is read because it reflects the Frankenstein piece together nature of the letter, um, which is only known to the audience and to Amelie. And it is very appropriate that um, sound is included in that way because we are viewing it from Amelie's perspective. And so we're in on the secret. We're in on the truth of that letter. And I just think that's a fantastic detail, which um, Jeanette decided to include. And it just, when I, when I watched um, the film again and picked up on that, I just fell in love with it just a little bit more. So this is definitely a film that definitely keeps on giving. Yep. Uh, and you never really get tired of, to be honest. I've watched no. this at least five times now, which is a lot for me. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. I'm still not sick of it. Um, it's so fresh. It, it holds its uh, charm, even 22 years later. Yeah, it, it, 
it manages to make Paris look like a like a wonderful, happy place. It which does. Is, is is magic enough? <laughs> Just <laughs> I mean, a feat I mean, in when, itself. When you look at the two films that uh, uh, Matteo uh, Kasovitz is in, uh, famous for this film and Line, uh, they're completely different <laughs> they're completely depictions different. Of, of Paris. <laughs> I know, and honestly, um, credit to uh, Matthew Kasovitz for directing and starring in Line. Yeah. Then deciding to be an Emily because they are completely different. Yeah. Completely different. And you know what? We love his versatility. Mm-hmm. We love it. He's great. Yeah. Um, shout out to Matthew Kasovitz. One of one of the, the many wonders of this film. <laughs> well, is, is there any last comments that you wanted to make on Emily before we wrap this up, Mia? Oh, dear. Well, <laughs> I don't Just know. Just that you love it so much? Just that, that I love it so much. And everyone should watch this on a bad day because it'll definitely yep. make you feel happy and it'll definitely make you feel good. And Emily is a type of character who you will fall in love with and you won't be able to keep out of your mind for a very long time. And if you haven't watched this already, this is also a really great introduction to like French cinema. Mm-hmm. Um I think it's got it's very Parisian. Mm-hmm. It's, it's it just to me it's just it's just a great entry point into the world of French cinema and Jeanette has a very distinctive style as well. So if you like this, I'm sure you'll like the rest of his work. Yeah. Absolutely, there. Yeah, that, that's what I'd say as well. I mean, I, when I started this podcast, one of the main goals of mine was to to make it sort of a, a film recommendation podcast. Um, so, I guess what I will say is that yeah, I, I agree with Mia completely that this is a pick me up film. This is a film that you can rewatch time and time again, have a lot of fun with. Um, it's it's a it's a feel good film. So if if you are looking for something in in that variety, um, chuck this one on your watch list. Well, thanks so much, guys, uh, for joining in for another episode. Um, you'll, we, we plan on doing uh, f- definitely a few more episodes in the, in the coming weeks uh, together. Uh, we're watch- we've been watching a lot recently, so mm-hmm. um, stay tuned and see what we've got coming up next, guys. So I've been Stephen. I'm Mia. Have a great day, guys. <laughs>